This is Malia J, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee Podcast with your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchhart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard, five ways the music industry has changed since Adele last released an album. From Ted Joya, 12 predictions for the future of music. And from eMarketer, Spotify and Pandora lead U.S. in audio listeners. We've got this. We've got, well, quite frankly, quite a bit more because this is episode number 62 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your Morning Coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, good morning. It's good to see you. Good morning. It's good to see you on a Sunday, which is when we record. Good to see you. Kind of in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a morning person, as has been mentioned many a time here. <laughs> you, on the other hand, are the complete... We are very similar I in am, so many things. You know, but you're a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> but, but actually, you know. we're very similar in most things, except for body clocks. You, yeah. you run way earlier than I do. and Yeah, but I'm like an old man. I'm in bed, you know, by 10, so... <laughs> Well, I'm getting not far from that, actually. I used to used to stay up late, but I don't really anymore. Uh, yeah, but by the way, you know, we should also mention that without our sponsors, we could not do this show. Mm. And we are so, so, so lucky to have so many great sponsors, including TiVo Music Metadata, dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TiVo Music Metadata offers obsessively deduplicated artist, album, and song IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar artists, band members, and influences, authoritative credits, personalization, discovery, and search APIs, purpose-built solutions for classical music, and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming. To learn more, go to TiVo.com slash music and learn about all the groovy stuff they do when it comes to so good. data. Yeah. Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in like hosting and custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to help you sell your music and your merch commission-free, 
commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code Morning coffee. But that's not all. We are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Ah, speaking of Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 530,000 artists and their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, indeed. We are so lucky to have TiVo Music, Metadata, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town helping, with us, helping us with this show because, I'll be honest, we need the help. Look at me. We do. I need the help. Well, I haven't showered yet. They're the yet. best, though. I'm out of control. By the way, and the guy that I get to chat with every week, he is Jay Gilbert, the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which is, of course, weekly music news for the new music business, as we are here on the podcast as well. And former executive with Universal Music, Sony, and Warner Music Groups. Yes, all of those music groups. And uh, lots of people always say he is so sexy when he says, ARPU. Oh, well, that's Jay Gilbert. That's, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And, and and my good friend here, Mike, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, and the guy that really turns me on to all the documentaries, uh, music documentaries typically, and there's a few that are coming yes. up that I'm really excited about that I wanted to talk to you about and see if you'd heard of. Uh, the first one, um, it, not really one of my favorite groups, but, you know, uh, I'll watch a documentary about, you know, I just love seeing how the sausage is made. Absolutely, okay? yeah. Um, so this is about Velvet Underground, mm -hmm. um, directed by Todd Haynes, and this is on Apple TV+. Plus. Yes. Um, were you ever a big Lou Reed or Velvet Underground uh, You know, backer? I was never, you know, the, the classic line that was attributed to Brian Eno that said, that, where he said, like, uh, that first Velvet Underground album, only 10,000 people bought the album, but every one of those 10,000 started a band. Um, I, I never, it was never my cup of tea either, and we, you and I talked about this before we got on. Um, I did interface with Lou Reed a little bit uh, in my days at Warner's, and he, he was a f interesting chap. Um, and and I, there's a great, and I think they're actually on Apple TV Plus now. The 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 great British documentary series, Classic Albums. There is mm -hmm. one with Lou Reed uh, where they where they review the or they talk about the Lou Reed Transformer album, and that's the one that had Walk on the Wild Side. And of course. when I, I have a, a considerably more um, uh, appreciation for Lou Reed's solo stuff once I saw that. And then I read the Lou Reed documentary, or I'm sorry, yeah, read the Lou Reed uh, biography book. And so I have a little bit more appreciation for the Velvet Underground as well <laughs> as, ah. the, as Lou Reed. So that's a long-winded story of saying yes and no, but I do want to see the documentary because it looks fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so that one's on my, on my queue. Um, the other one is Dave Grohl, What Drives Us. And, you know, it's been out for a little bit. 
Um, I haven't seen it yet. I saw a piece in Rolling Stone, and the headline is Dave Grohl's Van Touring Documentary, What Drives Us, 11 Things We Learned. And I just want to run down those really quickly because they're awesome. And and you you need to read this article because it's hilarious. But here are the 11 things that Dave Grohl learned. One, the Beatles saved U2's The Edge from his hobby of pyromania. Think about that for a second. Uh, ACDC's Brian Johnson wanted to be a drummer. Then he heard Little Richard. Ben Harper was radicalized by his next-door neighbor's goth rock legend's Christian death. <laughs> Lars Ulrich from Metallica is the luckiest man in the world and shouldn't be in this documentary. <laughs> Uh, number five, Dave Grohl credits van touring with saving the Foo Fighters. Number six, hardcore legends DOA are credited with the advent of DIY van touring. Hmm. I'm not so sure about that one, but I mean, and then of course the next one, number seven, even the Beatles farted in their van. <laughs> we'll just let that stand on its own. Right. Number eight, no doubt once played to a crowd smaller than the actual band. Wow. <laughs> Number nine, packing a tour van is like playing Tetris. Number 10, Napster's foe, Lars Ulrich, uh, now embraces technology. Uh, number 11, streaming maybe killed the van tour. And was it 11? Is that all yeah, it was? Yeah, 11, I guess it was yeah. 11. Well, yeah. So I want to see the documentary. I saw a little trailer for it. Um, I'm a little late to the party there. Um, yeah, I, I, but, I've not um, seen that one, but I have seen the next one we're going to talk about, which is David Foster cool. on Netflix off the record, which is very interesting. Um, you know, you forget how many, well, how many records he's produced and how many songs he's written. I mean, he, you know, ridiculous Monster. Uh, a monster, monster, monster. Um, and then, of course, but the, the 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 Godhead documentary that is coming out is the one oh. that's going to be over Thanksgiving, and that's The Beatles Get Back, which, of course, is the yeah. new take on the old Let It Be movie, which hasn't been in, in, in circulation for 30 years, maybe? It's been out of circulation for a long time. Yeah, and the problem I had with Let It Be, the movie, and this is not that... This is Get Back, which is a documentary with all this, you know, it's the same, it's the same footage. footage and, it's the same footage, but it's just sort of mm, a different perspective. Yeah, it's it's different. Um, I've seen Let It Be, you know, dozens of times, and seeing the trailers for this, it's different footage. Um, it's also a lot of it you've never seen before. Yeah, um, and some of it you have, but it, the quality of it looks so much better. I'm not really sure how they did that. Um, but the difference is, is that when you watch Let It Be, it's depressing. Right. And yes. it's sad, and it just seems like a horrible way for the best band uh, in, in pop history to go down and end. Um, but this, at least from the, the trailer that they have up, is joyful. And um, you can see the brotherhood, and you can see the love they have for each other, and the banter, and the comedy... That's what I love about this, is this looks like it's going to be uh, more fun. Yeah, well, and I should say, it, it's, it, it's pulled from the same footage that Let It Be was pulled from. Uh, but it is, it is, it, it is, it is, it's a different take on it, basically. You know, it, yeah. that, that was 60 hours of, of documentary footage. And, um, and, they, and Peter Jackson, who, of course, did Lord of the Rings and everything, had a different, has had a different take on it. And the Beatles have always said that that was really not a... 
a, a represent a good representation of what was going on at the time. Certainly, they they were they yeah. had their rows, as they would say. But um, but speaking of the footage, uh, Peter Jackson had done a um, a documentary back in 2018 called "They Shall Not Grow Old," which is where he took um, footage from World War II and completely cleaned it up and then colorized it. It is so. You can go on YouTube and see a trailer for it. It is unbelievably stunning. But the, the, uh, clearly in this movie, they have gone back and and cleaned it up and, and digitized it. it and and the, the transfer is beautiful. You know, you can you yeah. can see everything, and it's it's going to be great. Yeah. So it's going to be spread over. It was originally going to be a theatrical release, uh, yeah. but now it's going to be on Dis- on Disney Plus, and it's going to be three nights of two hours yep. apiece. And yeah, November 25th, 26th, and 27th. Uh, the Beatles get back and they re-released um, let it be a while back without the Phil Spector mm-hmm. orchestration I'm sure was it I don't have it in front of me but you know like unplugged or whatever it was called let it, it be naked wasn't it yeah probably yeah I think so um, I'm I forget things <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good and it just shows you that this you know let it be has this long storied history and uh, so many uh, you know, so many things about it that we don't know and and so much footage that we haven't seen. Um, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to this. I know there's quite a bit of buzz uh, about this out there, but we will we'll talk about it a little bit and if, later. And if too. you're not a Beatles geek like Jay and, R, Jay and I are, you'll know that Let It Be, while it was the last released album of the Beatles, it was actually recorded before Abbey Road. Abbey Road, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So by the way, Jay, you are going to be, you're, speaking of the road, you're going to be virtually on the road. You're doing a, you're doing a little uh, an event tomorrow, I believe, aren't you? Yeah, I'm doing a live stream with uh, Michigan Music Alliance's uh, B-Side Sessions. And this particular session is on team building. Um, I'll be joined by Stephen Foxbury uh, of uh, Yellow Couch mm-hmm. Management. May have heard of mm-hmm. uh, Holly Moore from LA's Holiday Management, Eric Griffin from Nashville's Music City Council, and the uh, the uh, moderator is Bob Wallace uh, from the Kalamazoo Academy of Rock. So that'll be fun. That's tomorrow at 4 p.m. Uh, West Coast time, uh, which will be today if you're listening to this as it's released. But you don't have to catch the live stream. You can always catch the uh, these things on YouTube. Um, and Michigan Music Alliance is doing some really, really great things. Like this one that we're talking about is building a team. But upcoming after that, they have uh, a B-side session called Creating a Brand, one called uh, Understanding Contracts, Planning a Tour, Capturing Royalties, Covers and Collaboration, and Maximizing Studio Time. So you don't have to live in Michigan to appreciate and learn from all these tools and tactics. It's just a really great resource. Or you don't have to go so to, thanks for men- you, mentioning that. You don't have to go to Michigan either. <laughs> that's, that's, that's in your right. case, you're not going to Michigan, you, but you will be participating, that, I believe. So That is absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, well, let's, let's jump in. You know, it, it, I had forgotten that it's been so long since Adele released an album, but she's got a new album coming out. And uh, yeah. this article that we're going to talk about is, is from Billboard, Five Ways the music industry, music industry Has Changed Since Adele Last Released an Album. And yeah. it is big news when she releases an album because uh, she is a very successful artist. In case well, she dropped the track um, last week. Yes. And it's amazing. Uh, dropped a really a cool video, yeah. which is you know very charming. Maybe the intro is about... 
you know, a minute too long, but yeah. <laughs> the video and the song are really great. You know, she's only released three albums over the last 14 years. I know. You know, while, you know, most people release albums annually or, you know, 18 months or whatever that release cycle is. So that in itself is is special. Yeah, they roughly correspond with her age. So if you if you have forgotten, you would be you would be forgiven for forgetting. Uh, the, her first album was entitled Nineteen. It was back in two thousand and eight. Uh, the next album was Twenty One, which she recorded in twenty eleven. Uh, four years after that was the album Twenty Five, and uh, in twenty fifteen. And now we're at thirty. Although she's a little bit older than thirty, I believe. So uh, that's coming out. And boy, it is yeah. a different business, really. Since and and when I. You know, time goes by so fast, and you forget what is kind of what has happened in the in how, and how quickly it has happened. Right. So we're really right. talking about the difference between 2015 and 2021. Six years, not yeah. insignificant, but not that long. Well, we always talk about how the music industry has changed while we've been on this call, <laughs> this podcast, right. Right? right? Yeah. And this really exemplifies that. You know, yeah. so what what are the five ways, you know, the music industry has changed in the last six years since we last heard a new album from Adele? I'll take the first one. Uh, streaming windows have gone out of style. And I had almost forgotten about these streaming windows, you know, where artists like Adele and Taylor Swift, they wouldn't release their music right away for streaming services because they wanted to sell more CDs. And with in the last six years, streaming has become 85% of our business. So, you know, A-list artists like Adele and Taylor Swift Swift, were still focused on selling their albums, whether on physical formats like CD or vinyl or digitally on iTunes. We forget how big iTunes was six years ago. That's right. To the point that their new albums would be initially withheld from streaming formats. And I had honestly... I haven't seen a streaming, you know, window. I mean, why would you? That's right. I just thought that was crazy. It was, but that's just the way it was. And I'm going to skip actually ahead because another thing that has changed, of course, is vinyl is outselling CDs now. One of the biggest changes in album sales in recent years has been the comeback of vinyl. And every time I say that, by the way, Jay, I have to just pinch myself because you know we. I, I was starting my career as vinyl was going out. And I remember the rush to get stuff out on CD and how that was just like hair on fire. Oh, my God, we cannot make those CDs fast enough. Uh, Over 13 million vinyl records were sold in the U.S. in 2016. And that number more than doubled to 27 million in 2020 with vinyl on pace to outsell compact discs in 21 for the first time. So that is such an enormous thing that has happened um, in the business. And, you know, you can't. Uh, you you just can't overstate that. Talk about nobody calling that one. You know, yeah. nobody that I know of was ever would have ever stood up in a meeting and said, "You know what? I think vinyl." It's like you would have been fired the next day, uh, and then committed yeah. to a to a mental institution. Um, yeah, it just is not even possible. So here we are. She will still probably sell a lot of CDs, but not probably as much as she did, of course. You know, back in the day. Um, so it, that is one of the big dramatic changes, of course, that's happened. So I'll let yeah. you take the, yeah. take the next one. Well, I wanted to go back. There, one they talked about here where slow songs face even yeah. more radio resistance, and I hadn't really thought about that either. 
Um, it said when someone like you became Adele's uh, second hot 100 topper in 2011, she bucked every trend by making a spare and stately piano ballad as big as any dance floor smash by Lady Gaga or Katy Perry. It was remarkably the first number one in Hot 100 history comprised of only piano and vocals. And that kind of stripped down uh, vibe isn't what you're seeing in the Hot 100 typically. So it's going to be interesting to see how this new track does. Well, and by the way, the new track, if you haven't heard, it's called Easy On Me. It's a great song. And it is mm-hmm. you know, very, very piano-oriented. Her, her producer and songwriter um, is a fantastic piano player. Um, uh, but, you know, there are artists that you just kind of have to remove from the rest when you're talking about the business as a whole. And Adele is one of those. You know, she just... She has a, an enormously large fan base and and such goodwill within the within radio and, and the entire community of music that you know she just she's an anomaly and you can't really say yeah. you know she just stands aside and that's you know that's that's the the, yeah. the blessing that she has which is she's yeah and, I agree and I think in in many ways you know we we talk about of course the rapid. When the next one, it, the next one is album campaigns have gotten shorter. So, uh, so we'll, I'm going to get to that in a second. But, you know, w- when you look at at the span of which she has recorded albums, she definitely, she's she's very there, and then she goes away for an extended period of time. And I think you know the old line, which is, "How can I miss you if you don't leave?" Um, you know, I think there's something to be said for you can overexpose yourself as an artist. And she has, for whether planned or not, she definitely has had a lot of space and time and, and, and certainly tours a lot, but then literally takes breaks. And Well, there's no scarcity, that's to your right. point. And I had an artist manager tell me last week, just kind of joking about his artist, saying that I don't need to see what he has for breakfast right, every day. Right. You know, and there is this oversaturation. And sometimes it's good to have a little mystery, uh, a little scarcity. And she's definitely done that. And what I'd like to do is let's regroup after we get first week numbers and take a look at what are the configurations? Because mm-hmm. we're in a streaming world, but typically she's been physical. Yes. But that's six years ago. Right. Let's see, you know, um, the vinyl sales, the CD sales yeah. compared to streaming. And the, even though downloads aren't really a, a thing anymore, we still see people downloading certain releases. That's why we always use those smart URLs, right. you know, like Feature FM and, you know, Bitly and all, all of those great uh, and Gupta Media's smart URL um, because you can see what the behavior is. And it varies so differently if you've got a jazz release, an EDM, mm-hmm. pop, country. Um, some age groups will, uh, you know, some people want the vinyl. Some people want the CDs. Some will stream it. It's really interesting. So let's follow up on this, uh, you know, after... We, we see how this goes because, you know, uh, so much has changed in the last six years. It's almost like 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Well, let me actually finish the last one. The, the, the album campaigns have gotten shorter. It says, although Beyonce-style surprise releases are not as in vogue as they once were, the length of a pre-release campaign for major albums has shrunk in recent years. The two months between the release of Rolling in the Deep and 21 
or even the one month between Hello and 25, those were her album titles and single titles, might be considered lavish rollouts today when the latest albums by Taylor Swift, yeah. Drake, and Kanye West have all arrived without any previously released singles. And Ariana Grande's last album arrived only a, with only a week's warning. While some artists may drop an additional promotional single or two in the weeks running up to an album, Adele has never released or has never needed to do that. And we probably won't hear much, but maybe nothing at all beyond Easy On Me, the latest single between now and 30's release, now scheduled for November 19th. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that is the way things yeah. are these days. So, well, we'll I would only argue that that's the way things are for superstars. That's right. Yeah, that's not that way for developing artists or kind of when you're in the middle, you have to have a release cadence and you have to have a plan and you have to have a plan surrounding each one of those track releases and assets for those. And these superstars don't necessarily need that. Um, But it's interesting. And and one one that we kind of skipped over a little earlier that I that I wanted to touch on really quickly is. Uh, million selling first weeks are an endangered species. Say that again. Million selling first weeks mm. are an endangered species. So it used to be that in the CD era, we would have uh, something debut at number one. We would have something sell a million copies in the first week. And, you know, there weren't a ton of them, but it would happen. But, you know, even though that wasn't easy to do, even in the streaming era, it would happen a couple of times a year, you know, with a, a Lil Wayne or an NSYNC or something like that. But lately, you know, other than, you know, well, let's look at Taylor Swift's reputation was the last album to go platinum in a week selling uh, 1.24 million. And that in, in includes equivalents, right? And we can get into that later uh, in the first seven days. So in the last four years, only two albums have come close um, and they were also by Taylor Swift, 2019's Lover. That opened with 867,000 units, uh, including equivalents, and 2020's Folklore. So I guess this this kind of illustrates that it'll be interesting to see how she does streaming and with equivalents so we can get a sense of, you know, the new music business. Is she going to do the yeah. same thing she's done in the past uh, my gut tells me, yeah, she she probably will. And maybe our friend Amber can do a breakdown of the marketing plan for this album. That would yeah, be we'll have to really that interesting. That would be really cool. Yeah, because you'll recall the uh, you know we talked a lot about the one for Justin Bieber and how that thing was just you know multiple yeah. singles and videos and and all kinds of stuff. And but yeah. again, this is an artist that you almost have to you know look at conventional wisdom and, and throw it out the window because. But maybe not. Maybe 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 she is now more in line with the way everything else is going. But I don't know. It, it, like you said, it's going to be fun to kind of get a recap yeah. after the album was released on the nineteenth and see November nineteenth. That is, and see yeah. uh, so we where we are. So yeah, exactly. This was the most read article uh, this week in your morning coffee so far, and I think it just illustrates how this new music business is changing so quickly. And just by reading through some of these things, it reminds you how far we've come in such a short period of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and again, and 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 how far out her albums are spaced. And I, that's great. You know, it's. I think it, you really want it. You know, I'm I'm super excited and looking forward to the record because she's such a dynamic artist and and 
seemingly a fun person. You know, I went back and revisited the uh, the uh, what's what's the the series with where she's in the car uh, car karaoke basically, and she's just very funny and charming. You know, she she seems yeah. to be one of those down to earth artists. Maybe she and on easy easy on me the video. If you watch the video, it's very you know black and white and serious, and then it moves to color, but then at the very end they show kind of an outtake yes. where she's cracking up. Yes. So yeah, yeah. she's not taking herself no. too seriously, but I, I just think it's a wonderful track and uh, it'll be really interesting to, you know, get a breakdown of this and see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about, which is from Ted Joya, uh, it's 12 predictions for the future of music. And yeah. you and I, I think we were just texting. Uh, this was a funny and interesting and thought provoking article to say the least. Oh yeah, I mean Ted uh, Ted Joya is uh, he's just a remarkable uh, writer, and if you go to his website and look at all of the things he's written, you know he's a musician, he's an author, he's published eleven nonfiction books. You know uh, he he wrote uh, music, a subversive history, uh, which was released in two thousand nineteen. Um, he's been called one of the outstanding music historians in America. And his his work is just phenomenal. And I, the problem was I didn't find this article. A friend of mine sent it to me after I'd sent out uh, your morning coffee. So I'll add it to this coming week. Um, but it is a really, really great piece on a lot of the things that we talk about uh, weekly. And it's not comprehensive. It doesn't have everything. And it's, and it's his opinion, right? And, and I love what he put at the very beginning of, of the piece. He says, let me peer into my crystal ball and predict the next decade in music. I'm brave or foolhardy enough to tell you what I see. But you may want to sit down first. If you earn your living from music, some of these changes might come as a shock. But don't blame me. I'm merely the messenger. It's the bloody crystal ball that's cranky. There you go. <laughs> And on that, let's jump into his 12 predictions for the future of music. Number one, and maybe after after each one, we should give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. How's that, Jay? <laughs> oh, okay. You and I, well, we, in terms of our opinion, so we, we, okay. if we concur with right. him. So number Sorry, one Ted, is, this is just our opinion. This is just we our opinion, exactly. Uh, number one, record labels will gradually lose both the ability and desire to develop new artists. There simply won't be enough profit in young talent to justify the large required investments, but the labels won't disappear. Instead, they will focus increasingly on their old catalog and archival materials. Now, I will say, by the way, that this sort of plays into the to the uh, article we talked about last week with the head of BMGs talking about how 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 large a profit comes from catalog and how expensive it is to develop new artists. That's right. So with that in mind, Jay, I'm going to give this I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I think probably it will be more like this than not. How about that? Your thoughts? I think it depends. When it says record label, sure. let's separate record labels from record label groups, like Warner Music and right. Universal Music. And that, that's a whole different thing. And it also depends if you have the repertoire, if you have the catalog. Mm -hmm. If you're one of these, oh, let's say newer, and when I say newer, I mean just not old like Atlantic, but if you're Sub Pop, Beggars, Merge, you, know, you may not have a huge catalog, and you certainly don't have Stevie Nicks and Bob Dylan, that sort of thing. Sure. So it's not a level playing field. Right, right, right. I, th I think overall, I think there's no real guaranteed ROI in music. You know, it's got a 93% failure rate. 
you know, and right now of the business, depending on where you go, it's, you know, catalog for some of these major label groups is 65, 75%. And so he's right. It catalog is where the money is, but how do you get catalog? You develop artists, artists. of course. And, and that's the challenge. When, when I was at Universal, when we were at Universal, we had some consulting groups come in for what they call re-engineering when Polygram and Universal merged. And, and you know the story. I was BCG, actually at was a Boston, meeting. It was Boston Consulting Group, wasn't it? Wasn't oh, it I wasn't going to call them out. Oh, go. Dude. Yeah, let's but, call them okay, out. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, a consultant agency, and they... Um, the the What was the term they said? They, they steal your watch and then tell you what time it is? <laughs> but with, without getting into that, one of the things they said to us with a straight face in a meeting um, was that we needed to put out, you know, more of the hit artists and less of the uh, developing artists. And what we had to explain to them was a lot of those hit artists didn't hit on the first single or album. It's called artist development. And it's rarer these days, but it, it used to be that labels would stick with an artist and grow their career, and then they would become uh, a catalog artist as well. So my my thumbs in the middle. Okay, on this All one, right. kind of a sideways. There you go. All right. Uh, number two, more more uh, more new artists will get their big break from web plat web platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Peloton, Bandcamp, etc., than from record labels. That said, even these platforms are less than ad ideal ways to introduce new artists to curious listeners. So I wouldn't be surprised if a whole new platform emerges during the next decade, an interface that makes it fun and exciting for music fans to hear new new music. The online process should be almost as enjoyable as going out to clubs, but currently it's not even close. Strange to say, video games like Fortnite might end up doing a better job of this than music platforms. And I think, it seems like we did another article on that talking about a similar thing, which is something must be coming. <laughs> it feels like it's Well, time I think a lot of things are coming, and I think a lot of things are here, and I couldn't agree more with this number two, right? That more artists will get their big break from web platforms like TikTok, et cetera. I would add Twitch in there, yeah. which is is growing in leaps and bounds. Also, quietly in the background, things like, I think it might be still in beta, but there's a company called Sonically, which is going to take over, you and I did a story about this, take over for what Pledge Music used to do, except with a different uh, business model uh, on the financial side. So, I agree wholeheartedly. We're already seeing it. I mean, there's so many people that are blowing up on TikTok and then being signed to labels or doing independent things and selling and streaming a lot of uh, music. Same with YouTube. Haven't seen a ton from Peloton yet or even some of the Facebook things. Bandcamp is a beast. It's, it's fantastic. It's a great way to support indie artists. It's a great way to discover music and... Um, I think this number two point is spot on. Yeah, I'm going to give it two thumbs up. And I, we're not going to be able to cover all, cover all 12, but I do want to jump forward to something that is very interesting on this. This is number five for him, and he says, dead musicians will start showing up everywhere via holograms, biopics, etc. cetera. Uh, and these resurrected performers will capture an increasing share of industry revenues and put a squeeze on living artists. And, and he says this will eventually happen with dead movie stars and other celebrities too. But deceased musicians will lead this trend because it's simpler and cheaper to fake an audio than, for example, a commercial film. Uh, I... I while maybe not wholeheartedly, I think um, given where technology is heading, I think this is certainly plausible. Hmm. I'm going to give it half a thumb up. I think that it will be secondary to 
AI. We're already seeing artists, and you and I have reported mm-hmm. on this, we're already seeing uh, basically artificial intelligence creating artists out of thin air yeah. and creating music for those artists. I think that's going to be 10 times uh, bigger than just um, some kind of hologram or something where you can go see some of your uh, favorite musicians reanimated. Um, and let me do this. Since we don't have time to get through all 12, I want to read all 12 and okay. then pick out a couple sure. of our perfor- – So. I'm just going to read a, uh, you know, a sentence on each one really quickly. One, record labels will gradually lose both the ability and desire to develop new artists. Number two, more artists will get their big break from other web platforms. Number three, listeners will have their um, favorite new songs but not know or care about the name of the artist. And I want to come back to that one. Musicians' incomes will continue to shrink. Number five, dead musicians will start showing up everywhere. Six, dead musicians will begin performing everywhere. Number seven, exciting new music trends will continue to emerge from outside the major Anglo-American urban centers. That's an important one, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Eight, the biggest deals in music music will be acquisitions of old songs, especially publishing rights. Wow, we've been talking about that a lot. Uh, Number nine, a huge portion of music profits will actually go to big tech companies. Number 10, all of the innovations in music tech will come from outside the legacy music industry. Eleven, Record labels will increasingly pursue bare-bones, low-investment approach. Hmm. Number 12, but the greatest dream of the music execs will be to get out of the music industry, right? So let's. There, there's a couple in there that I want to make sure we, we have a... Let me look at the clock. Yeah, we have a little bit of time. Um, so this one I thought was really important. Number three, uh, a peculiar phenomenon will emerge. Listeners will have favorite new songs, but not know or, or care about the name of the artist. Um, you know, you've got to hear this great song on my workout playlist, you know, in in an odd way, our song discovery process will return to the medieval model circa 1000 AD where compositions could achieve enormous popularity, even as the people who created this music remained largely anonymous. We are seeing this phenomenon, that's easy for you to say, um, we're seeing it now, uh, to some degree where if you're not in the first 12, 15 slots on a playlist, when people are super engaged, you know, they're Mm -hmm. working out, they're cooking dinner, they're doing whatever you're, then you sometimes become background, uh, music and there's a lot less, um, spins and a lot less engagement as you get further down on these larger lists. And, I've I've seen this happen where I'll know a song yeah. and I've heard it on a playlist, you know, but I haven't made that connection of like, who's that artist? It's funny because I was I thought about this just the other day. I was working out at the gym and there's a bunch of songs that came up. I'm like, God, I love this song. And then I'm thinking to myself, but, but I wasn't looking at my screen and I couldn't for the life of me remember who did him. And I'm usually pretty good at that stuff. And it was like an entire, like a, like a, about six songs in a row. And I, I'd heard the songs millions of times and I couldn't for the life of me, you know, there was sort of, you know, artists that kind of came and went for whatever reason. And yeah, that's, so for me, that's a big one. I, I noticed that immediately. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that you kind of hit on as you're, as you're uh, reading down the list, number seven, talking about um, music trends to, that, that were coming from outside of the major, major Anglo-American urban centers. So we're seeing it already with K-pop, uh, but we're also talking about things from Africa or India or Indonesia. Mm-hmm. We're going to see a lot more, you know, ex-US, ex- ex-Western Europe, 
um, music trends. And I think for sure that's going to be happening. And we're seeing it already as those markets become, uh, as the streaming services kind of go into those markets and, and more in higher numbers. Uh, yeah. I think that that stuff is going to come our way and without a doubt. Absolutely. I mean, streaming is global. Yep. Um, I know, like, take InGrooves, for example, they're just killing it right now with Latin music. Um, Latin pop, uh, traditional Latin music. Um, I couldn't agree with uh, this this one anymore. Um, another one I thought was interesting here is uh, a huge portion of music profits will actually go to tech companies, mm-hmm. Apple, Google, etc., who have no real interest in reinvesting this cash into the music ecosystem. And I, I had a conversation with somebody about this recently that there are certain platforms... Well, let's take all music kind of DSPs and platforms. You can kind of break them up into a couple of groups. And one is those where it's their core business, like Spotify, right? Mm -hmm. That's their core business. Now, they want to branch out into podcasts and all sorts of other things. And people are guessing that they want to be in video uh, deeper. I was going to say deeply and deeper at the same time. (laughs) Um, So, But then you've got people like Apple, Google, um, and even Amazon to a certain degree, where if they lost music tomorrow, they'd still be doing just fine. Right. Right. Yeah. But if Deezer or Pandora or Spotify, if they lose music, you know, they're done. Yep. And so it's going to be a different approach how those, those different companies, um, you know, approach music. And I think he's right that when he says a huge portion of music profits, you know, because. Music is always going to be important to Apple. It's part of their products, you know, going back to, you know, from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think going forward, there's going to be more tech companies that we don't even know about yet. Like a couple of years ago, we weren't talking about Peloton, right. really, and music. Yeah. And now we certainly are. So, I, you know, it's not just going to be Apple and Google. I think there's going to be new players to the space as well. Like we weren't even talking about Twitch a couple of years ago, even though it was around and doing well, it was really more of a gamers mm-hmm. platform. And now we're talking about it on the music side. No, so, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think, yeah. So really fun read, an interesting read from Ted. And uh, by the way, his website is called The Honest Broker. And, uh, or his, his, his uh, it's more of a subscription thing, actually. It's a, his, it's a reader-supported guide to music books and contemporary culture. Very intuitive and very thought-provoking, shall we say. What a great, great article. And again, it wasn't in this last week's Morning Coffee because it came out a little bit late, but I will be adding it to your Morning Coffee um, this coming week. And um, we've posted it on, we have a Your Morning Coffee Facebook group that you can join. Um, You go in there and you'll see the article there if you want to check it out as well. Uh, Jay, for our last uh, article we're going to talk about, it's from this from eMarketer, Spotify and Pandora lead in audio listeners, U.S. audio, lead U.S. Yeah. in audio listeners. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. First day with the new mouth, apparently. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, interesting article for sure. This is by Ross Bennis, I guess is pronounced his name. Uh, and it's on actually uh, Insider Intelligence, eMarketer, which is the full name of it. Um, yeah. Any surprises for you? Spotify has the most well, users among digital audio platforms. I, I subscribe to eMarketer. Uh, I love the charts and graphs that they produce and the research that they have. You know, um, and I this one really caught my eye because it's not always about music uh, with eMarketer. They do you know all sorts of things and 
products and entertainment and all sorts of things. So, um, they said that Spotify has the most users among digital audio platforms, followed by Pandora, Amazon Music, and Apple Music. Amazon will surpass Pandora in listeners next year. My only caveat here is that they're they're looking at YouTube as YouTube Music, the paid music right. DSP subscription, and not YouTube, the you know commonly thought of video platform which streams more music than any of these services. But just pointing that out, what I love about this piece is that it's really more of a prediction of where the business is going. So if you look at the first chart, U.S. digital audio listeners by platform 2018 to 2025. So you can kind of take a look at 2018, 2019, 2020, and see actually where things have been. And then they kind of extrapolate and do their prediction of where things are going. And I thought it was interesting. They still see Spotify um, growing um, exponentially. Um, They still see Amazon growing well, although that surprised me that the way that they have it, it's not growing as fast. And right now, Spotify is growing as a percentage faster than anyone. So that surprised me a little bit that their analysts had it really growing, but just not as quickly. And then Apple Music, same, you know, basically keeping the same market share. Um, The real surprise to me, though, was Pandora, Mm -hmm. um, that they're projecting, if I can say it, um, to continue kind of a slow downward trend through 2025. Well, and and obviously these are predictions, but they they have pretty accurate data going up to 2021. And I was kind of surprised as you were to see Pandora. So in this chart that we're looking at, it's uh, in the millions, of course. So Pandora back in 2018, they had it with 68.6 million audio digital audio listeners, and by 2021, that's down to 54. And I, I, I. I, I guess that's accurate. Um, it just doesn't seem intuitive to me. Um, based on yeah. my just kind of local family and friends, lots of people st- listen to Pandora because it is, it, you know, we talk about apples versus oranges. <laughs> they're, 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 it's not really apples and oranges. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The first chart is U.S. digital audio listeners. listeners. And if you go down to the next one, it's U.S. paid digital audio subscribers. And in that graph, you look at, you know, things are a a little bit different, but you you see things like um, YouTube premium, they they predict is really going to take off Mm -hmm. in the next five years. Um, and, And more so as a percentage than certainly Apple, but they still see Spotify premium, you know, which is versus kind of the ad supported and they show Pandora really flat. Um, I mean, almost exactly flat, yeah. you know, from 2018 to 2025. And that just seems counterintuitive to me. Like, there's a lot of great people working at Spotify, a lot of smart people. They're doing some really cool stuff over there. Did I say Spotify? I meant Pandora. Yeah, you meant Pandora, I think, yeah. Yeah. And I I find it hard to believe that they're going to be flat over the next uh, four or five years. But again, I could be wrong. These are smart analysts doing this. I'm just going by, you know, basically my gut. Well, and and but I'm kind of with you on that. I, I, again, I I find um, and and kind of my circle of of influencers that I kind of pay attention to seem to like Pandora for because it is a little different. You know, it, it's it's much more heavily curated curated, obviously. Um, 
and so yeah, maybe that's true, but I don't know. That that one kind of kind of got me, you know, kind of like the dog where the kind of look yeah. crooked look at it's like hmm, yeah. I'm not sure with yeah. that. And then, that one and and sorry, the, the, the one on um podcasts. Yes. They do a chart here on on podcasts and, and their projections. And it's showing that Spotify podcast listeners is going to surpass uh, Apple uh, this year. I think that's either imminent or it already happened. And what you have to realize is it's it's crazy how fast Spotify got into... Po- I mean, Apple was the king of podcast listening forever. Mm-hmm. That's just where you listened. So in 2018, there were 6.2 million people listening to podcasts on um, Spotify as opposed to 25.5 on Apple. Like, you're not even close. Right. You know, 19 million apart. Then the next year, they doubled, and they went to 12 million. Yeah. Uh, when I say they, I mean Spotify. And against Apple's almost 27 million. But then in 2020, they really closed the, the gap, and they were up to almost 20 million to Apple's 27.6 million. And then, of course, this year they're going to uh, surpass them. And they see that trend continuing. Um, it's interesting. Podcasts are becoming more and more popular, and there are more and more platforms where you can listen to or watch podcasts. But I'm really surprised at how fast Spotify has really, and I think some of it was acquisitions of companies, Mm -hmm. you know, like Anchor, and really making podcasts a priority. Because if you think about it, in a lot of cases, they don't have to pay the kind of money for that quote unquote content that they would for music or video. Well, and then of course, the the other conversation, which we have all the time, is um, Apple doesn't necessarily need any of this stuff to to bring home the bacon. Um, they've got yeah. a lot of things going on, including iPhones, and Spotify does not. And so Spotify has to hustle and work a little bit harder. And You're saying they might be hungrier? They might be hungrier. I'm saying exactly that. And so I think, you know, it's it's not surprising. And, uh, and you know, I, I know, I often wonder, really, what's the ROI on, you know, on these high-dollar podcast acquisitions and you know they're they're flush with cash and so they can make those acquisitions um but you know does the joe rogan whatever advance he got is that paying that is that paying off um maybe it doesn't maybe need to for them it, it's it it works on a variety of different levels i'm sure yeah i wonder if if it's also done to bring in other key podcasters like sure. we you and i have talked about that story of you know, when Geffen Records decided to start DGC Records, which is basically David Geffen Company. Corporation, Com- it's yeah. just it's the same thing under a different name. But they wanted to go after instead of having you know Donna Summer, John Lennon, Elton John, they wanted to go after you know some of these cool new alternative bands. And so one of the first signings was Sonic Youth, <laughs> and I remember you know working with Geffen at the time. And having that conversation, like, why would you sign Sonic Youth? They're they're not going to bring in a lot of revenue for you. But the reason they did that is it brought other people to the table. The yeah. reason Nirvana signed with DGC was they wanted to be on the label that Sonic Youth was on. And I'm thinking that maybe that translates here in that maybe some of these podcasters want to be on the same platform that Joe Rogan's on, mm-hmm. you know, or whoever their favorite podcast of choice is. I don't know, but it's, it's big business. I love seeing 
podcasts take off. You and I have been fans of podcasts for many, many years, and it's just brought so much joy to my life, you know, having these I, I think of it as almost like TiVo for radio. Yes. You know, in some way that you can capture a program, but you don't have to be there when it aired. And you can listen to it on your walk or at the gym or on your commute or while you're doing something else. And I've I've found so many wonderful podcasts. And I'm really happy to see finally after these years that it's really starting to get competitive. And I think that really helps all of us. Yeah. Well, and of course, just the the, the micro niche uh, capabilities of podcasts and, and, and YouTube and anything, which is, you know, it, 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 it's, that's a good point. Yeah. It, it, it opens, you we'll know, talk about that for a second. Like what you mean by that? Well, and to me, it really started with the internet. You know, I, we, I, I have, we've talked a little bit about, I'm the, I'm a left-handed guitar player and, uh, you know, there was, even in, in Los Angeles, you'd go to a guitar center and there'd be one left-handed guitar or two. If and that. If that, exactly. You know, <laughs> super, super small numbers of them were even made. And, you know, you were just, uh, you were a lone person out there looking for left-handed guitars. But when the internet happened, suddenly, you know, you start to find out there, you see them for sale on eBay and things like that. You start to, to realize, well, you're not alone. And then there's a there's website. There's a tribe. Exactly. There's a tribe. And, and of course, we're able to continually to improve on that tribe notion. And now you could, there can be a YouTube channel. There can be a podcast for left-handed guitar players. There can be just all of this, you know, micro tribes, for the lack of a better phrase, you know, yeah. finding your people, finding your tribes and, yeah. and the, the ability to talk to them. And that's really what podcasting does. There's certainly big, you know, like, like there are in television shows, huge popular things, but right. The New York times daily, yeah. you know, I think has like a hundred people working on it, but I love what you're talking about because no matter what you're into, let's take music, for example, no matter what subgenre or something that you think is a very small audience, you're going to find a podcast about it. You're going to find a YouTube channel. Yes. You're going to find a Facebook group. And I always tell people when they're marketing uh, records that you have to find your tribe. Yep. And if you're putting out, you know, let's say an Americana record or an EDM record, go find those podcasts, go find those YouTube channels, go find those Facebook groups. And that's where you can start growing your audience. I, I wish I had these things when I was in high school. Totally. Because when you're in high school, you think, I'm the only guy that's reading Cream Magazine that gets this humor. I'm the only guy that likes this band. And then as you grow up, you find, oh my God, there's a lot of people that grew up doing exactly what you were doing and going to those record stores and discovering those things. And I, I think finding your tribe is one of the most important things in music marketing today. And on that, I can't, we, we can't end the show on a better note, Jay, than that. Absolutely. Right. Well, we do need to wrap up episode number 62. So we do want to thank you all for listening in today because we certainly, uh, Jay and I, couldn't appreciate it more. And we also want to thank our sponsors, TiVo Music, yes, Metadata, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Wonderful folks. And they help make the music and the magic happen for us. So big thanks to all of those folks. So Jay, on that note, you have a good weekend. Folks, have a good you week. Too, when friend. you are listening to us, we appreciate you. We will see you next week on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.